It's called taking a way to establish. Hebrews 10, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now, he's talking here about the first covenant, the old covenant. He takes away the first, the old covenant, to establish the new and better covenant. You don't want to go back under the old covenant. I can't mix fabric. I can't mix foods. I can't drink this. I have to observe this day, that day. It's, it's nothing but regulations and rules. Oh, it, it's fatiguing. And, of course, nobody kept it. Nobody kept it in 1,500 years. Nobody kept it. And the whole idea was God says, come on, man. Come on. Go, go for it. Let's see how good you are. Let's see if you can reach perfection by keeping my law and justifying yourself. So then he gave you another choice when he gave Jesus, who did do it, and says, now if you accept me, I will account you as having done it, having fulfilled the law, having obeyed all that stuff. Pretty cool, right? So you can keep trying, climbing the ladder, and then you get up there close to the top, oh, slip, fall back down, got to climb up again. God said, get off the ladder. I'll come down to you. I'll do what you can't do. I'll do it for you, and then I'll receive you to me. It's called grace, folks. That's why it's a better covenant with better promises. I've got it better today than those old boys had back then, and so do you. He said so. Okay, here we go. Now, I'm going to unwind something to show you a principle. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 5, God called the light day, and darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. Notice that phrase, evening and morning. Seems to be out of order. Verse 8, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, so the evening and morning were the third day. Verse 19, so the evening and the morning are the fourth day. Verse 23, so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 31, then God saw everything he had made. It was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. Notice, each new day brought a higher order of what God created. Each evening brought a new day, and each new day was better, was a higher order of creation. Day one, light. Day two, atmosphere. Day three, uh, dry ground and plants. Day four, sun, moon, stars. Day five, birds and sea animals. Day six, land animals and the ultimate creation, man. Day seven, God rested. Evening and morning. So hang on to that for a moment. And then one more, Luke chapter 5, verse 37 through 38. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put in new wineskin, and both are preserved. Here's a takeaway. God's days don't begin at sunrise. They begin at night. In the opening chapters of Genesis, there's a cycle taking place. There are six days described, each closing with this phrase, and there was evening and there was morning one day. That's why Orthodox Jews celebrate the Sabbath, which is Saturday, from Friday night at 6.01 p.m. to Saturday evening at 6.01 p.m. Their day, Sabbath, begins on Friday night. And the reason they do that is from Genesis 1 and the evening and the morning. See, God's days start at night. 
Did you know that? So that's why on Friday evening you'll see Orthodox Jewish people walking to the synagogue. And then on Saturday night at 6.01 p.m., restaurants open, everybody's going. You with me? I'm going to give you something to talk about, okay, at least over lunch. I won't waste your time. So, so I'll tell you something else. Now, this, is just, this is just preacher peeve. Easter sunrise service, nothing wrong with it, but you can't prove it. Sunrise, really? Why? Because we're trying to get him up out of the grave on our day, not the Jewish day. So this, if he rose on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, then that would be Saturday night at 6.01 p.m. Are you with me? So he could have come out of the grave anytime after dark at 6.01 p.m. And I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes for sunrise service. Okay. I just want you to see most people don't read the Bible. They ain't got a clue what's going on. It, it, none, of that, none of that makes you righteous. Okay, it's just interesting. Can you handle that? Instead of boring nonsense that we do, you got to think. You know, thinking really helps change your life. As a man thinks, so is he. I just want everybody, to, why you do what you do, to think about it. God establishes a pattern for dealing with his creation. First, darkness, then light. Now, that paradigm, that model, runs throughout all of Scripture. First darkness, then light. First death, then life. First lose your life, then find it. First old wineskin, then the new wineskin. So God deals with us cyclically. And each new cycle begins with an apparent negative, taking away darkness. But it flows in to a very powerful blessing. He takes away to establish. So, all right, follow this through. So catch the principle. Every new dealing of God in our life begins with some sort of darkness, death, loss, negative experience, taking away. And we don't like it. I don't like it either. But our problem is we fail to understand that as long as we live in this present dimension, we are destined for change. Only God says, I change not. But we are being transformed, and that's a process of a lifetime, right? God's progressive changes in creation always begin with a night, with darkness. Now, in a real sense, God does take away, but it is to initiate his method for establishing something better. So when I read Hebrews 10, verse 9 a bit ago, God took away the old covenant to establish the new covenant, which is a better covenant. I don't live under 400,000 rules and regulations. I can eat this. I can drink this. I can taste that. I can mix fabric. Did you know under the law you couldn't mix cotton and rayon? You couldn't mix fabrics. You couldn't mix certain things. Uh, couldn't eat anything that was considered unclean if it didn't divide the hoof or chew cud. That would leave you seafood lovers out with your lobster and shell creatures. That, that would leave, that would really hurt uh, the barbecue restaurants too with pork. We couldn't have that, and we couldn't mix our food together. I think God did all, it had a significant meaning that we find in the New Testament. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They didn't know what was going on, and it was very frustrating. It was, had to be absolutely make you go insane trying to jump through all these hoops. Now, if we can grasp this principle that we're under a better covenant, ah, oh, thank God. If we grasp that principle, we can cope with life in a brand new way with hope. 
Each of our nights, and we're all going to get them, are not the end of our walk in the light, but the beginning of a new day. Something new, something better is coming. It's not like the next day. It might take a season for God to work it, but it comes. So just as surely as God leads us into the evening, he will complete the cycle by bringing us into a morning. Every time he takes away, he's about to establish something better. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Matthew 5, verse 6, part of the Beatitudes. You know, there's that dark part, and then here comes the filling. Uh, To be spiritually hungering and thirsting after righteousness carries with it a promise a filling is coming. To be dry and thirsty means that he who has rendered us that way will now pour water on us, even floods. Isaiah 44, verse 3, for I'll pour water on him who is thirsty, as somebody in a dry place, and floods on dry ground. See, it'll get better. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. I want God to bless my kids. Yeah, way more than me. Oh, hard-headed me. Took me forever to get straightened out. We hope that we pass the baton and our kids don't have to fight some of the battles we did and learn some of the lessons we did or do some, they're going to do stupid, but let's hope not as much as some of us did. And don't be looking at me. You'd be looking at, get your mirror out and look at that, all right? To find ourselves weak is to be assured he will strengthen us. And to be poor in spirit assures us we will inherit the kingdom. That's what scripture says. So American Christianity will do almost anything to avoid anything that appears to be negative. And a lot of pulpits and some TV preachers have deceived converts with this sense of guilt, shame, and condemnation when something bad happens, like their spiritual honeymoon with the Lord is over and night falls. Now, I've been married 46 years, Monday, to the same woman. But let me tell you something. I don't care what any marriage counselor says. It ain't honeymoon all the time. Honeymoon part is a short part. You're afraid to talk to me, are you? Yeah, you are. You're afraid. I don't want to respond. She might get mad. No, it's just life. It's life. Others, if you've been married over 50 years, and how many have been married over 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. But I doubt you're burning candles in the bedroom or anything. Okay. My, 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 point, my point being, there's, there's hard times. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But a lot of them think, well, if I'm obeying God and I'm following God, whew, it ought to be good times all the time. Well, see, no, it won't be. There are going to be some dark days. There are going to be some taking away. But it's going to be to establish something better. I've talked to so many people who said, if this had not happened, Rick, I wouldn't be where I am today. That taking away resulted in a promotion or a change or it put them over into their real destiny and they couldn't be happier. So stay with me. Instead of trying to create a charismatic Disneyland where never is heard a discouraging word, we should have taught them that the spiritual night of the soul, ah, just a normal Christian experience. Everybody goes through it. Then instead of guilt or condemnation, what I do wrong? That night would shout, hey, a new day, a better day is coming. When the lights go out, it's not over. It's the announcement something new and better is about to emerge. He takes away to establish, and that means he takes away the old to establish the new. The new day is always a higher order than the former day and a better day. So the real issue is 
how we respond. Now, that pattern of God's dealing is continuous. We will always experience a sense of loss or darkness or damage and some uncertainty. But God will always complete that experience with a new blessing. There are a lot of people that could give testimony in here, have gone through several years of just unhappiness and setback and divorce. And I promise that some of them have already had a better day and some yet will have a better day and a better life. It's how you finish anyway. It's not how you start. Hey, this is, the show's not over, folks. Stay, stay, stay in your, your, keep your running shoes on. Keep moving. It, it's not over. But the question is, how will I respond to the nights or a sense of loss when it occurs? Basically, two responses. One makes me better. The other one makes me bitter. Bitterness is always the result of a wrong response to an apparent negative. Remember Naomi in the book of Ruth? She nor her family saw the famine in the land as God's way of calling his people to repentance and prayer. They saw it as something to escape. So unfortunately, her decision to go down to Moab, a wrong response biblically, produced a bitter person instead of a better person. See, every negative in the Bible, when it involves God dealing with his people, always has a redemptive purpose. He works all things for good for them that are called according to his purpose. All right, it isn't good. He works it for their good. COVID isn't good. But he's going to use it in many lives to establish something better. He will. I don't care what you throw at me. God will redeem it. Even if the enemy throws it at me, he will redeem it for my good and his glory. He promises. He somehow will work that thing. It may force me to change. It may force me to change the way I do business. It may change my character. It may change the direction of my life. But it will be better. It will be. If he takes away, he will establish. If he tears down, he will rebuild. If he roots up, he will replant. If he brings an evening, he's going to bring a morning. And that same principle is in the parable Jesus used of an old wine skin that can't hold new wine. No, notice the truth. If God takes away old wine skins, it is only because he intends to establish a new one. He, he intends to pour out new wine. Now, let me do a little explaining here. This is not grape juice. There's only two words for wine in the Greek, oinus and glucose. Glucose is where we get our word glucose, sugar water, grape juice. That's not used for wine. Oinus is used for wine. That's, why did they call Jesus a wine bibber if he drank grape juice? I don't know. I just go to church. Yeah, okay, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to get, stay on track here. All right. New wine, they don't have refrigeration. They have a goat skin. The goat skin was a goat, and they cut the feet off, tied it up, tied the, took the head off and the neck, and it's a container. They gut it, and uh, now it's malleable. It's got, it's got dexterity in it. It's flexible. They pour the new wine in. In about seven hours with that heat, it's going to germinate and ferment. When it ferments, it's giving off gas. And as it gives off gas, it's moving that wineskin. Now, if I put that new wine in an old wineskin, it's already gotten hardened, so it's going to crack or tear, or rupture, and spill. Does that make sense? Because that new wine giving off gas is going to be pushing on it. 
So if God wants to do something new in your life, it's going to be like, I can't put it in what you're giving me right now. You'll rupture. You'll break apart. And I'll waste the new wine. I need to transform you into a new wineskin, flexible, so adapting, so I can put something new in it and fresh, and it won't be ruined. So he uses a wineskin as a type of when he wants to, you know, we get old, we don't like to change. We just don't. It, it, it's hard to get old people to change. Isn't that right, Mark? Your heart. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean you can't and you won't. You should. But I'm saying we, we don't like to. Instead of complaining about what he takes away, we should rejoice. He's about to bring me something new and greater than I had before. I may not know what it is yet, but it's going to be great when it gets here. In the context of this parable in Luke, we notice Jesus is talking about the days. The bridegroom shall be taken away from you. He's talking to the disciples. And he's teaching this to his disciples by parable. Jesus was saying he himself was the old wineskin. He was in one place at one time. God Almighty in the flesh could only be in one place at one time when Jesus walked on the earth. He said, it is better that I go away, taking away to establish. It is better that I go away. Disciples thought, no, it's not. You stay here. We like this. And Jesus said, no, it's better that I go away. If I don't go away, the comforter won't come. He, he is assuring the disciples he will be taken away. Number two, something better would be established. And we know now he was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus can be everywhere at the same time with everyone on planet earth that's a believer. He's everywhere. He's my, I'm his hands, his eyes, his heart, his tears, his feet, his compassion, his resources if it's needed. Now his spirit indwells a believer and it's better than when Jesus was just physically here. So the interpretation is confirmed by his own words in John 16 verse 7. It is better. Everybody say better. Yeah. It is better that I go away. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. But the disciples are just like me and you. Shoot, Lord, I like hanging around you. You pay the taxes, you get a fish, you got a gold coin. I probably could get a Tesla. You just heal everybody. You cast out demons. Don't be telling me you're going to be going anywhere. Stop that. That's kind of how I'd feel if I had Jesus physically with me. So the disciples didn't believe it either. They thought it was horrible. It's going to be darkness for them. But they failed to see God would take Christ away that he could establish something a whole lot better. Now all that raises a question. Why does God choose to deal with us this way? Jesus resolves the question in Luke 5 verse 39. No man having drunk old wine desires the new. For he says the old is better. And with typical divine insight, the Lord reveals our ingrained inward resistance to change. We just don't like to change. I want my seat on my row to stay empty till I get there. I don't want somebody in my parking place or in my seat. Glory to God. <laughs> it's, just, it's just awful. I don't like, why, don't the, why doesn't the choir wear robes? Why don't we have a lot of crucifixes around the auditorium? The church I went to had angels on the wall hanging. And that's, what, that's what I want to do. Like that's going to make anything better? 
like they did that in the New Testament. They didn't do that. They didn't even have a Hammond B3 organ in the New Testament. They didn't have a smoke machine. They didn't have anything. Okay. I'm trying to show you, boy, people, well, you don't do it like the church I came from. Well, that's like marrying somebody else and saying, well, you don't cook that meatloaf like my other wife did. <laughs> it might be better. Eat it, Sparky, and shut up. But we don't like to change. It's so difficult to let go of the old until we have the new firmly in our grasp. We prefer old wine, familiar territory, sunlit days. But nevertheless, God is determined to invade our world with darkness, disappointment, and occasional loss. Because it's right here in God's dealings that progress is attained. Night comes, we cringe, we complain, we murmur, but night comes anyway. Only by our revelation of knowing how God works do we perceive the hand of God in our night, bringing a new day, ultimately, into being. And yes, God's days begin at night. That means what we discern to be the end is really God's new beginning in my life. And a lot of God's people seem to have suffered loss. For some, it's a spouse. For others, a ministry opportunity. For a few, job or employment. But just be sure that if you belong to Jesus and he does take away, know it's only to redemptively establish something new and something better. So trust God on that. Only in the natural is the old wine better. Remember the wedding at Cana? Jesus made new wine. It's always better than the old. There are seasons in God's dealings with us. Nobody lives in a permanent season. There's spring, summer, fall, and winter. And it will comfort us when we experience something negative in our lives to know, hey, it's just the beginning of something new God's doing in my life. I know this. If God takes away, he will establish. If you're dry, he'll pour floods on dry ground. If you're weak, he will make you strong. If you're poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of God. And remember, the mark of maturity is to realize God is in the very thing that's going on in your life right now if you're a child of God. Psalms 118, verse 5 and 6. I called on the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a high place. The Lord is on my side, so I will not fear what man can do to me. You keep calling out to God in distress. He hears, and he will ultimately set you in a high place because he cares for you. So don't just suck your thumb and drink Maalox and cry. Encourage yourself with Scripture with principles that if he takes away or even allows it to take away, he's going to establish something better in your life. If you'll, if you'll hang on to that, you'll be a testimony of it being true. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.